0: Welcome to ABC Gotham, New York's amateur history podcast. I am Kate and with me as always is the lovely Kathleen. Hello everyone. And today's podcast is kind of one that we've been kicking around for a while and something the city wouldn't really exist as we know it today without.
1: Mhm. It would look very very different if we didn't have this.
0: So Kathleen, what are we talking about?
1: Letter G for today stands for the grid.
0: And don't just think the grid just happens in Manhattan like I did when <laughs> I was doing i was doing my studying, even though I live in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Brooklyn's grid is a bit skewed, but, you know, we are going to give some love to the outer boroughs today and talk about how the grid affects these places. Absolutely.
1: And the grid is obviously a fairly common layout in a lot of cities, so what we're going to do today is just open with... What the grid is, what city planners are doing with the grid. What are the advantages? What are the disadvantages? Because it's so common, it's kind of hard to think about what a city would be like in any other layout. So we will tell you about some of those. Um, there's obviously advantages and disadvantages to the grid.
0: I'd say a disadvantage is a lack of anarchy. <laughs>
1: It it does limit our our approach to anarchy. Yes. But (laughs) an advantage that real estate developers like is that land can be subdivided and parcelated and sold and developed very quickly, very easily, and very equally.
0: Which we'll talk about a bit more later. We have a uh, a guy who really is anti-grid until he realizes how much money he can make Mm -hmm. because the grid is going through his estate. Exactly. And uh, money, money always plays
1: big part. Definitely. Um, the grid is just streets at right angles and blocks in between them, and the size of those blocks and the width of those streets. Grids are great for pedestrians. Actually, the smaller the block, the better it is for pedestrians. It means you can do the shortest route possible. Um, the uh, the finer the grid, the more space is allocated to streets, and the less is available for development. So, real estate developers are not as fond of very small blocks, because you have a lot more street. Um, from the pedestrian perspective, the smaller the block is, the easier the navigation, the more direct the route. So pedestrians prefer finer grids.
0: So another good advantage to um, having this grid is that these so-called straight-sided houses, any house at like a, with a right angle, like you have a grid here, those buildings are cheaper to build.
1: Mm-hmm. They're um, easier to build, too. And they're
0: easier to build. And they're the most convenient to live in. Like, mm-hmm. if you've ever seen some of these, um, there's a building down the street from where I live now in Prospect Heights that is at a really strange angle. And mm-hmm. I always just look at that building and, and I'm like, I don't really know what I'd use that room for. That's it.
1: How do you, what, how does the furniture go? How do how do the rugs go? It, and yeah. these are very real concerns and it's that much harder to build a structure like that. We're just thinking about decorating and living within it. Um, yeah, it, a grid creates regular lots, well-packed sequences. It allows them to maximize the use of the land on the block. It minimizes disputes over lot boundaries. It's just a bunch of blocks. It's it's like like Legos.
0: But, you know, each city kind of treats the grid differently. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you think about how Chicago versus New York mm-hmm. versus Washington, D.C., which I would argue is not... Yeah. I don't know if DC is really on a grid.
1: It has a series of grids, but it's got those crisscross diagonal streets, and uh, the diagonal diagonal streets tend to meet at these really terrifying traffic circles. I have a heart attack every time I had to drive through one of those. Um, Philadelphia has a grid. San Diego, Chicago, Boston, not so much. No, a Boston. Grid. I I
0: would love to give. I want to give some love to Boston first of all because <laughs> I I love Boston as a city. However, when I was walking around when my uncle was living there and walking around downtown Boston. Mm. I was like, "Where in what world does this street make sense?" (laughs) Who designed
1: this? This is insane. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just like hard to navigate. It's
0: just like parts of Lower Manhattan and the Village, where Mm -hmm. you're just like, "Why does this street curve?" (laughs) Yes. And how is there a street that's half a block long? Mm -hmm. You know, um, kind of the similar idea. Exactly. Um, Another important aspect of
1: street grids and the use of just these square or rectangular blocks is the traffic flow. So with the uh, the movement of traffic, you've got either pedestrians or cars or bikes, and that's all going at right angles. This is actually really good and important as the safety feature because then you're entering the intersection, you don't have to look over your shoulder to see oncoming traffic. So if you think about driving or even walking, and there's like angled intersections, somebody can't see some of the traffic that is coming to them. So the grid is actually a great arrangement in light of how the human body is built, of how our, our heads and our shoulders and, and our vision is. So it works. This is why you see it everywhere. Um, Two very important characteristics of the grid plan make it really good for pedestrians and that's very frequent intersections and then the right angles. So it helps, orient yourself you're able to figure out what you're looking at where you're going um you have a straight line of view down whichever street you're on so there are some street networks from uh that are you know twisty and weird like boston also paris is sort of like this these are very pretty um places to walk around but uh the source i read says can be confusing for visitors. As Kate and I just uh, demonstrated, but rarely confusing for original ha- inhabitants. It's just like the West Village or Greenwich Village. If you can right. go your way around it, big deal.
0: Well, also, um, the the great thing with the right angles and the short blocks is that if you're standing on a corner and you're like, especially. Back to Manhattan, um, especially in Manhattan, and you're like, which way do I have to go? You can really quickly see a block away and say, I'm on 18th Street, and that is 17th, so that's south. So you I know. Orient
1: yourself immediately. Very easily. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, of course, there are drawbacks to the grid. There are haters.
1: Uh, I have a quote here from Lewis Mumford. He's a 20th century urbanist. I remember seeing an urbanist interviewed on a on a the New York documentary Ken mm-hmm. Burns, New York, yeah. which is awesome. everyone should check it out and this guy comes on and he's an urbanist, and we're like, "What the heck is an urbanist anyway? One particular urbanist, Lewis Mumford, severely criticized a lot of the things about the grid. His quote is, "With a t square and a triangle, finally, the municipal engineer could, without the slightest training as either an architect or a sociologist, plan a metropolis with its standard lots, its standard blocks, its standard street widths in short. With its standardized, comparable and replaceable parts. The new gridiron plans were spectacular in their inefficiency and waste. Ooh.
0: Uh-huh. I know.
1: By usually failing to discriminate sufficiently between main arteries and residential streets, the first were not made wide enough, while the second were too wide for purely neighborhood functions. As for its contribution to the permanent social function of the city, the anonymous gridiron plan proved empty. Burn! That's pretty
0: bad. Um, oh. I see his point of view, but he's not right. Like, the streets are not all uniform. Exactly. Certain streets are larger than others. Exactly. To accommodate uh, cross-town traffic. Mm-hmm. Some streets are narrower, like, or residential, like my street. That's it. Yeah, we'll
1: give you those those numbers. But, yeah, the width of 23rd Street and 42nd mm-hmm. Street and 34th 57. Street and 57th, they planned ahead. They knew they would need major cross-town arteries. They made them wider. Right. Duh. Why wouldn't they? That's.
0: But I do love his little like with a T-square and triangle. I'm like, ooh, you really (laughs) thought this out. Right.
1: And one important thing is if you look at more recent developments from the 60s and forward, you see a lot less of the grid. And so, obviously, major urban centers and downtown areas have pretty much been developed by that time. But when you look at new suburbs... You see cul-de-sacs. You see curving streets. Um, The car, of course, has a lot to do with how that was all designed. It's presumably safer for kids playing in the streets because cars aren't zooming down a straight shot. And if you have enough dead ends and cul-de-sacs, you don't really have any traffic other than people who live right there. So it's good in that way, but it is extremely pedestrian hostile, if you've ever tried to stroll through a suburban area that's just curving and bending and you don't know which way you're headed or if you're in the right direction. And then, surprise, at that end, it has its drawbacks. This is
0: why we're fat (laughs) as Americans. Because of not enough grit. Because, yeah, because we're not forced to walk everywhere, and, <laughs> and our neighborhoods are hostile towards exercise. That's, that's it. That's it. And and major
1: shopping centers or, or family members are all a drive away.
0: My mom lives uh, in this area that was very rural, mm-hmm. um, but they built a housing complex across the street from her, and it's a lot of those curving streets and cul-de-sacs, and I was going to go for, like, my morning run when I went to go visit her at some mm-hmm. point, and there were no sidewalks, really. <laughs> I could run on the street, but like, mm-hmm. they really don't promote. I think a lot of these people, when they were building the neighborhood, they didn't want the sidewalks so that their grass would go all the way to the curb and not have the broken up of uh, the, the lawn. Yeah. Sure,
1: but, but kids gotta walk to school and no. trick or treat and mm. learn to roller skate and stuff. How is this a good
0: idea? You got the driveway. You trick or treat at school, and you take the bus. You don't have to walk anywhere. That is
1: lame. Sad
0: sadness. Lame.
1: So that is just the grid idea in general. Now we're going to talk a little bit—not a little bit—the bulk of the episode, a lot of it about the grid in Manhattan.
0: So we can we can trace the <coughs> grid back. So there is the famous Commissioner's Plan of eighteen eleven. Uh, which is considered the single most important document in New York development. That's a hell of a statement. It is. It is. Uh, The commission itself said that it combined beauty, order, and convenience, which it does. Mm -hmm. However, the grid goes back a little farther than that. The grid actually starts in the 1740s. New growth started being laid out in grids. Uh, Just these twisty, turny roads weren't working so much. Those Mm -hmm. were originally paths. Three areas that um, were being laid out in grids were just north of the World Tr- current World Trade Center, mm-hmm. Little Italy, just north of Canal, and a group of blocks to the southeast by the East River. Mm. And it was an easier way to get around. Uh, same thing where the buildings are being built in blocks, so it's cheaper to build a square block. Mm. And they're just becoming more and more structured, and not like the Dutch era of building in in New York.
1: Was it at the time? Was it a concern the ease of postal delivery, or was are we still way before that? I
0: think we're way before that. Now, unlike a lot of cities, like we talked about Paris, we talked about Chicago, Boston to an extent, New York, Manhattan. Uh can't radiate outwards, it can only go in one direction. it can only go north, so that's why the grid started being implemented because it made a lot more sense than just having these strange streets that lead to nowhere and then you got to connect them to something else or you just dead end and in in New York in Manhattan, the first streets radiated away from our favorite place, collect pond collect pond, yeah, wow. which really is amazing when you think about it being the Main source of water for everyone.
1: And that was where the state courthouse
0: is right now? That was where Five Points Yeah, it's right? where. So eventually, as we've talked about before, it becomes super polluted mm-hmm. and gets filled in. And on top of that is where they built Five Points. So in, you know, early days in Manhattan, the streets were just anything that got you to collect pond. That's why there are a lot of twisty, turny, windy roads. Once, collect, once it's collect Pond is filled in and we're starting to actually grid because it makes sense because there's not a city center anymore, as soon as the official grid, which is our Commissioner's Plan of 1811, was brought forward, we're going to go into a lot about the details about that. But there's some, like, some weird, like, you know, people love it, people hate it. Sure. Something I meant to bring up earlier is our another one of our favorites, Boss Tweed, <laughs> was uh, really good at making money on the grid. He would buy up lots as soon as they opened. He'd, like, bribe city officials to know when it was going to happen before it happened. That guy
1: was so smart.
0: <laughs> I mean, evil but smart. Evil but smart. Okay, so let's go into the actual commissioner's plan.
1: Mm. And this should should be noted that this generally refers to Manhattan north of Houston Street. There exactly. Were, you know, like, like Kate said, there were a couple of other little areas of grids, but people just built streets the way they built them until they decided they needed a plan, which was smart. They did. Uh, one thing to note also, the grid continues all the way up into the Bronx. The original plan only went up to 155th Street. Later, they extended it up, and it goes on into the Bronx. We'll be talking about the other boroughs later, but the Bronx is pretty similar in terms of numbering uh, in, the, in the grid plan, as is Manhattan. Uh, grids on the east and west side don't match up too well when you get very high in the northern reaches of the borough. But That's where the grid is.
0: Right. And, you know, we said there's spots of grid before this 1811 program. And it's really well, the grid that gets implemented is really great because it seamlessly blends those grids into the new grid. So it seems like the grid goes further down than it actually does. Yes, Halston is the start of our grid. And there's actually a little park. That you can go to to see the uh, what is it called the baseline of the like that. the baseline of the grid. It's at first First Street, First Avenue in Houston, and there's a little park right there, and that's officially the baseline of where the grid starts. So that gives you an idea, and then really just keeps going all the way up. Is that Peretz Square. Yes. All
1: right, yeah. right. So the ba- exactly the base point for the cross streets was First Street. Very short. First Street it's is tiny. not long. It's, it's really tiny. short. It's inconspicuous. It's still there. Ran, originally ran from the intersection of Avenue B and Houston to the intersection of the Bowery and Bleecker Street. Correct Square is a small little sliver of a park where Houston Street, First Street, and First Avenue all meet. And that is the spot where it begins.
0: Yes, yes. So uh, they've decided that they've got to start putting some kind of uh, method to how the city is going to mm-hmm. be built um, around we're going back to the commissioner's plan mm-hmm. so the city itself couldn't I feel like get itself together well enough to do this Right. so in 1811 the New York State Legislature adapted a proposal for the orderly sale and development of Manhattan between actually between it started between 14th and Washington Heights hmm. but then of course like the the eventual plan was Houston. Right. Um, but they were gonna start the city like a little bit higher to like I guess let people get used to, it. but anyway.
1: I mean I think a lot of it had to do with people owned this land.
0: They did, and, and they were not happy about exactly. it. Exactly.
1: I think that's part of why that's the state had to get involved is there was a lot of
0: backlash. Yes, yeah. There were a few other street layouts. Before the grid was adopted, but none of them were quite as well thought out. And that's kind of why they went to the New York State legislature because there were, they needed somebody to veto and be like, this is it, mm-hmm. this is the plan, go with it. Another reason they wanted to create this grid, the grid as an idea, is so that air, supposedly, so air could circulate better. Um, This whole miasma theory, (laughs) uh, which I really love, which is the miasma theory is that poisonous vapor or mist is filled with particles from decomposed matter, which is miasma, mata, miasmata, and this is what caused illness. This is how you got cholera.
1: Well, that's what they thought before they knew about germs. That's what they thought. Yeah.
0: Before we knew about germs, miasma was the... The reigning theory.
1: Yeah, the quote here I have is the council said its goal was quote laying out streets in such a manner as to unite regularity and order with public convenience and benefit, and in particular to promote the health of the city by allowing a free and abundant circulation of air unquote to stave off disease because of the miasma, which right. reminds me a lot of the zoning episode. Yeah, yeah,
0: really. definitely, definitely. Even
1: then, it was air, and they didn't they didn't mention light, but. Fresh air is mandatory.
0: Right. So this grid plan that's coming about, uh, we—I have a great picture. I have a couple really good pictures actually. Mm-hmm. One picture is really good. It's of uh, the plan, but of course you'll notice that there's no Central Park.
1: Guys, it's terrifying. It's it, really look scary. At that. Holy
0: cow! What is? What could have been? Yeah. Um, Central Park does not is not part of the plan, um, not until about 1853 when they're like, we've got to come up with a park <laughs> mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. because
0: we don't have one. Um, Central Park today exists between 5th and 8th Avenue, cross-down-wise, and then it goes from, it starts at 59th Street and it goes up to One Hundred and Ten. So they really had to, like, that's a huge block of what mm-hmm. would have been residential, more commercial, apartment more, buildings yeah. and
1: schools and grocery stores. I mean... A lot of the criticism of this plan is it's relentless and monotonous. And, uh, you know, there's some validity to that, especially
0: when you consider if there hadn't been Central Park. There's a few small parks that are included, like um, Madison Square Park. Mm-hmm. But can you imagine if we, if Madison Square Park was our only park in Manhattan? If it was the largest park in Manhattan?
1: Unbelievable. It would be t- I can't even wrap my mind it. So
0: around. sad. It would be so sad. Yeah. Um so the state legislature appoints three men, uh Governor Morris, he's not a governor. He actually is a founding father. Uh yeah. 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 Uh a lo- uh, lawyer by the name of John Rutherford and a state surveyor named Simeon DeWitt. So these are our three, they there are people working under them, but these are our three like main guys. When I was first studying this I was like three men did all of that work. <laughs> No. That's not what happened. No, 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 no. So, um, the commissioners are given, they give out, they give power to lay out the city any way they want. Any street that exists without the permission of city council can be taken out. This is any road you just kind of built on your property. No. If it's not on the grid, it's going. Oh, my Lord. Uh, This is, their jurisdiction's pretty amazing. So, it's Manhattan. All of Manhattan, north of Houston, and then 600 feet below the low water mark in the East River and Hudson River. So they're like really planning, I think, maybe not, but thinking about Tunnels? like, no, like uh, what we have now, how we built the island out.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're
0: like, we want to make sure we really have everything covered. I love the 600 yeah. feet below water. That's the low so water line. real. Wow. Yeah, pretty amazing. Wow. Don't think you can build an island out there, Kathleen. I'm fine. So, uh, John Randall Jr., who is the chief engineer and surveyor. Oh, poor Randall. Poor guy.
1: Oh, my He's God. out
0: there, like, busting his butt.
1: He, he got arrested for trespassing yeah, so damaged, many times. Property damage mm-hmm. for cutting
0: tree branches. Got bitten by
1: dogs. He had he was the workhorse of this team, it yeah. sounded like to me.
0: Pretty pretty amazing. And Manhattan was a very different looking place at the time. There was a lot of farms, right? A lot of farms, but very hilly. Mount, mm-hmm. Mountainous, they called it, there was a few small mountains, I guess.
1: And he completely disregarded the topography. Yes, that was not at all part of what was what he drafted the grid that he had in mind, which worked out okay for us. They pretty much leveled all the hills, but right. that I means the grid has not been great in San Francisco.
0: No, I have some great images, which I'll get into in a little bit of mm. like when they were leveling out Manhattan and mm. how some houses are like fifty feet above the ground. <laughs> yes, and it looks very San Francisco. <laughs> uh so the eleven thousand four hundred acre survey was done in eighteen ten and like Kathleen said, forget about Chupag. We'll yeah. figure that part out later. Right. <laughs> so they submitted an eight foot map and a fifty four page pamphlet Jeez. which I kind of would like to get I my hands like on. To get a look at that, yeah, yeah. Uh they create twelve primary north south avenues. Um, Broadway existed at the time, but it was not part of this plan that we're discussing right now. It's added later. They later decided to keep it because... You need it. Let them
1: have one of them. Because it was huge. I mean, it was a major right. thoroughfare even then. So. And it
0: is an easiest... Because it snakes across the island, it is someti- sometimes mm-hmm. the easiest way to get across. Sometimes. Uh... Now, these... 12 primary north south avenues these don't include there's also where the island gets wider he accounted for that so that's why after first avenue we have avenues a b c and d on the east side and then on the west side up in washington heights and morningside heights we Mm -hmm. have a few extra streets thrown in there as well No, I have a lot of math. There's a lot of math here. Oh, yeah. Get ready for the numbers. But it's important and interesting. Yes. So we got the 12
1: primary uh, up and down north-south streets. We got 155 cross streets at right angles. This is just the initial plan. Obviously, we have quite a few more, especially if you think all the way up to, what do we got, 261st in the Bronx, something like that. So the location of the cross streets was um, fixed at the boundaries of five-acre parcels, That had previously been divided into those parcels. So the base point of the cross streets was First Street, as we said. The avenues were 100 feet wide. The avenues in the center of the island were separated by 922 feet, but along the waterfront were slightly closer. I had no idea. I always assumed just a block going going east-west was a block. It was just a big...
0: Block. No, some of those blocks are so much wider than mm-hmm, other blocks. Mm-hmm.
1: So towards the middle of the island, the, the blocks are even even wider, even longer to, to walk. The operating theory was that street frontage near the piers would be more valuable than the landlocked interior. Because at the time, of course, we, this is a shipping, this is a port, and the waterfront was the location of commerce, and that was the industry. Uh, so it was everyone's benefit to place avenues closer together at the island's edges, so smaller blocks towards the edges. The numbered streets that are running east-west are 60 feet wide, so, uh, about 200 feet in between each pair of streets, so the grid is approximately 2,000 long, skinny blocks that take forever to walk east-west, but you can, you know, less than a minute to walk north and south. Um... With each combined street and block added up to 260 feet, there are almost exactly 20 blocks per mile. So I've always kind of wondered that. Because in Chicago, we were like, oh, it's about eight blocks to a mile. And then we came here and like, eight blocks no, is not a mile. No, not at all. <laughs> right. So the numbered streets that were running east-west were uh, about 60 feet wide, except for the 15 crosstown streets. They anticipated that there would be the heavier traffic streets, and they designated them. That is uh, you know, the same streets as there's basically a lot of subway stops on. 14th, 23rd, 34th, 42nd, 57th Street, 72nd Street, 79th, 86th, 96th, 106th, 116th, 125, 135, 145, and 155. So that means that the major crosstown streets are as wide as the avenues.
0: Now one street that's not in that list Mm. is 59th street Mm. at the base of the park Mm -hmm. because it was the park wasn't there in the initial design now it's it's slightly wider Mm. and these numbers changed over time obviously not every single block is to these specifications Mm -hmm. large apartment blocks like i'm thinking of the ones on way to the west i think on 23rd street it's just this really big building that's taken over several, it feels like several blocks. Mm-hmm. Like in it's the
1: entire, entire block. Yeah. 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 And yeah. so that's very cool. I yeah. recommend going to see it on 23rd and I guess 9th Avenue. Yeah, the yeah. yeah.
0: And then you have some places like on the east side where you have uh, Stytown, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Peter Cooper, mm-hmm. where those just completely demolished blocks. They're just. And then I, I really get lost back in there. I, I went to visit a friend there one time, and I had to call and say, I don't know where I am, and I don't know where you are. Because,
1: I mean, once you lose the grid, once you're just in that empty block full of buildings, then then suddenly you, it's very easy to get disoriented, especially when we've learned to rely on the, on grid. the grid. Yeah,
0: yeah. We've given you some of those numbers. And... Yeah, I bet you're wondering, what happened to the structures that were there mm. before the grid went down? Let me tell you, they're gone. <laughs> um, <laughs> moving on. Moving on. No, they could stay as long as they were actually on the grid. So if your building worked on the grid, then it could stay. Um, 40% of the buildings north of Houston had to be moved or torn down. Un- so that's 721 out of... 1,825 buildings. Can you imagine
1: being the one who has to tell people this? Yeah, man, it
0: would be awful. Unbelievable. It's very funny. Speaking of the grid, my neighborhood, which I live in, Fort Greene, is its own little grid, kind of. And uh, we actually have a few blocks from where I live. There's an old farmhouse that wasn't on the grid, (laughs) but they left it. They didn't tear it down, and so a block grew up around it. Oh, my God. But you can actually still see the farmhouse if you, like, peek between some of the brownstones. It's Pretty funny.
1: I'm glad they left it.
0: I'm glad. It's like a little hidden thing, and I always wanted to live there.
1: (laughs) Oh, this is going to be helpful for helping you navigate around, because I just learned it. So the numbered street and avenue plan, obviously, eventually continued north of 155th Street, like we said. North of Washington Square Park in Manhattan, the numbered cross streets are divided into east and west at Fifth Avenue. I've never quite known where that happens. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I actually do know that. Mm -hmm. Because Fifth Avenue dead ends into Washington Square Park. South of the park, Broadway, is the boundary between East and West, numbered cross streets. Now, most of the numbered avenues have been officially renamed in some parts of the city, or even for all of their routes. The only ones that have never been renamed are 1st Avenue, 2nd Avenue, 3rd Avenue, and 5th Avenues. Though some of the named avenues, like Avenue of the Americas, which is 6th Avenue, are also known by their numbers. I never call it Avenue of the Americas. That's bulky and... And
0: I don't. I call weird. it 6th. However, sixth. um I am a printer, and I have definitely printed a lot of return addresses that say Avenue of the Americas instead of 6th Avenue. Is that a little bit of an affectation? I think so. Okay. Sorry to anybody.
1: That's <laughs> all that. of my clients. Um So they have a name, but they're also known by their numbers. Two additional avenues were interpolated, that were... were Squeezed in there among the original avenues. Madison was built between 5th and Park. Park used to be 4th Avenue.
0: Which it still is at some point. In
1: some places. And the way I remember it. Here's my mnemonic device. Free for everyone. Park has four letters.
0: Ah, Mm -hmm. well done.
1: Lexington Avenue, uh, which is actually known as Irving Place, south of 20th Street. That was built in between Park and 3rd. Several other avenues were added to the grid when Upper Manhattan was developed. So we've got Riverside Drive, Claremont Avenue, St. Nicholas up there. There was something called Bloomingdale Road, which you can actually see on the original 1811 map, but was not part of the planned grid. That was eventually preserved as part of what is now known as Broadway. Uh, Over the years, portions of Avenue A were renamed Sutton Place in Midtown Manhattan, York Avenue on the Upper East Side, and Pleasant Avenue in East Harlem. I didn't know we had a Pleasant Avenue. Uh, portions of Avenue B were named East End Avenue. That's in Yorkville. Inside. And the numbering of the crosstown streets going east and west, that has survived for two centuries with only minor variations, especially below the original 155th Street. Uh, the most notable irregularities are in Harlem. Uh, 125th and a West 126th streets go off the diagonal. They just go that and zoom off to the north at an angle. In the West Village, of course, it's a mess. Uh, a lot of streets vary from the original plan. Among them is West 4th Street intersecting with West 10th, 11th, 12th and 13th. Streets?
0: I do love that when you're standing on West 4th and West 10th and you're like, something is wrong. Streets.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I believe it was my brother who said, even the streets aren't straight down here.
0: Oh, very nice. Yeah. And then in
1: 1853, Central Park. And that was laid out, like Kate says, between 59th and 110th, 5th and 8th Avenue. Other major interruptions of the 1811 plan are campuses. So the main campus of Columbia University in Morningside Heights, the medical campus in Washington Heights, NYU, um, other things, uh we've got Lincoln Center, Morningside Park, Stuyvesant Town, Peter Cooper right. Village, and City College or other major interruptions to the grid.
0: So now we're gonna talk about uh my favorite guy, Clement Clark Moore, who had an estate that Kathleen you may have heard of. You think it was called so? Chelsea. Oh that. Yeah, all of Chelsea. <laughs> it was just his, his his place. Not bad, Clement Clark Moore. His pad. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, he was uh, not happy to have his um, his place chopped up. He said, The great principle which governs these plans is to reduce the surface of the earth as nearly as possible to dead level. The natural inequities of the ground are destroyed and the existing water sources disregarded. Now, he's pretty pissed. He doesn't like it. However, he stops complaining so much when he makes a ton of money on subdividing his uh, estate according to the grid and just kind of selling it off in parcels.
1: He learns to love.
0: He he learns to stop worrying and learn to love the grid. (laughs) You know, I mean, when this came
1: along, he stood to earn a ton of money, you know? But, of course, being told that you had to sell your land, it could be. Less than desirable, I understand that. Yeah, my favorite part, one of his complaints, of many, is since they disregarded the topography, his line is, these are men who would have cut down the seven hills of Rome. Ooh, burn! burn. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's another uh, another writer, Thomas Janvier, Janvier, who wrote a book in Old New York. He criticized the plan as, quote, A grind of money-making. And Henry James didn't even like it. He called it a primal topographic curse. Alexis de Tocqueville believed it fostered relentless monotony. And, you know, there are parts that are kind of monotonous.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to mention them because I don't want people to get mad. Okay. (laughs) So they lay the grid down, right? And you're like, yeah, just like bulldoze those hills. It'll be cool. Honest, I like it flat.
1: It's easier to walk around. It's easier to bike.
0: Yeah, it's a little boring, but, um, we do have some, I'm going to put this picture up. I, I really hope you look at it It'll probably be on our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, of just this building on top of a cliff because they leveled everything else, but the house is still on the grid. Making this grid was easier on the west side, the east side than the west side, Mm. because the east side is much flatter and the west side, which I'm sure you'll notice is much well, I'm, I'm thinking of when you get up, uptown Mm -hmm. where they didn't level it off so much. Exactly. The west side's much hillier. It's really up on cliffs. Mm Um, when they were putting the grid down in eighteen six by eighteen sixty, streetcars could only go up to eighty fourth street before the terrain was impassable. See? See? Yeah. Yet another reason. Yeah. Um there were huge rock outcroppings. Think of the ramble in Central Park. Sure. That's pretty much what it's like. Small mountains were blasted apart or cut through in order to lay the grid. Wow. Um it they were they started to have problems and I think they kind of gave up because I've been up there and it it looks like they gave up. It gets hilly as you get
1: farther north. The
0: hundred foot elevation change by the time you hit to Inwood and Morningside Heights. Mm-hmm. So not not super easy, but they made it work. I mean they it, they they still made it passable to streetcars
1: is and it's still walkable and bikeable. Right.
0: I just I get so excited when I think about what Manhattan like could have looked like yeah. and beautiful hills and and but it would not be the city the city it is today absolutely absolutely and
1: it's so much easier i think it was a a worthy trade but there's really no sense in discussing it.
0: so really quickly before we leave manhattan i'll just go into the one thing left out of the grid uh central park just a little bit i'm sure most of you know a, a bit about central park uh, the original plan was for 778 acres. Today, we have 840. Nice. Uh, it was... They decided we needed it because it was so overcrowded in the city. People were drawn to the few open spaces that there were, and then those were becoming crowded. So, this we really needed a large park. So, in 1857, uh, a state-appointed Central Park Commission hold a contest and another of our favorite people, Frederick Law Olmsted, mm-hmm. as well as Calvert Bow yeah. uh, won. And so that's that was his uh, Greensward Yay. plan, and that's how we have Central Park now. Thank goodness. Thank because goodness. Because it really is terrifying to see oh, just no. the, like, monotony. And I understand when people say the, the monotony of the mm-hmm, grid mm-hmm. and all this stuff. When you see they're not wrong, they're not wrong. When you look <laughs> at that thing with no central park, it's depressing, it really is, but it's, it's so much space it's got to be subdivided somehow. so
1: So I have information on the other boroughs, uh, not so much on the Bronx, since the Bronx is pretty much a continuation right. of Manhattan, uh but we'll start with Brooklyn because we're totally biased towards Brooklyn. Brooklyn is weird. When I, I used to live in Manhattan, when I moved here, I had to draw a map to just figure out how Williamsburg relates to Park Slope, relates to Prospect Park, relates to Bay Ridge. I, I, I didn't have it in my mind in the same very easy, intuitive way that Manhattan
0: is. I feel like Brooklyn is like a puzzle. So, like, each neighborhood is its, its own good. puzzle piece. That's kind of a really
1: good way to put it. So, what happened is Brooklyn was many different villages and cities before it all united into Brooklyn. So because of that, there are multiple street grids, and they are all at different angles to each other. Um, There were two cities and six towns in Kings County. They were independent municipalities, and those cities were Brooklyn and Williamsburg, and the towns were Brooklyn, Bushwick, Flatbush, Flatlands, Gravesend, and New Utrecht. So there was both a town called Brooklyn and a city called Brooklyn. They purposely decided to create these grids at different angles, because they did not intend to be, to line up to each other. They were They didn't distinct. plan on being
0: one city. Exactly,
1: exactly. And they knew how the layouts of those other towns and other villages and other cities were, and they set theirs deliberately different, making my life much harder. There is a numbered streets and avenues grid, so 6th Avenue and 15th Street. Uh, we've got that in Park Slope, which extends out to Sunset Park, Borough Park, Bensonhurst. It continued in Bath Beach, but with some streets are named Bay 24th Street, Bay 23rd, Bay 27th. It's also continues in Bay Ridge, but then there's a couple more angles of the streets. There's another grid, East and west-numbered streets with alphabetic avenues. So there's East 5th Street and there's Avenue J. Uh, that extends through Flatbush, Midwood, Gravesend, East Flatbush, Flatlands, etc. There are grids of named streets in Prospect Leffert's Gardens, Crown Heights, and bed that fit more or less with the Flatbush grid. Uh, and the town of in Gravesend, interestingly, was the only town where the streets actually run north to south. Wow. Mm -hmm. Everything else, uh, they ran their streets long north to south, and all the other cities and towns ran their streets along west to east. Gravesend is the only English town that might have had something to do with it. All the other towns were Dutch.
0: I I have to say, uh, I I know my neighborhood very well. lived here for a very long time, and I know it's a grid, and I know what streets cross what streets, and, you know, the streets cross the avenues. But um, I didn't realize that my... Neighborhood is totally kind of tilted. <laughs> and I, oh, what I always think is north is actually east because yeah. I can see the sun rise up Fulton Street in uh-huh. Fort Greene. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, that's north. No, it's not yeah, at all. It's, it's not totally north. east. Yeah.
1: When I give directions, I just do go right, go left. I, yeah, don't, I don't even yeah, say yeah. north I anymore because it's not even in no. Manhattan running north south. That's not quite not really. north, but no. we, we use north anyway. That's what I don't have to do. Um, so that's Brooklyn's story. Guys, get comfortable. Because Queens is a nightmare. If you ever tried to navigate around Queens, you know that there's 32nd Street, 32nd Avenue, 32nd Route, 32nd Terrace, 32nd Way, 32nd Path. I don't know. It is even worse than Brooklyn. But they had a similar situation. So in colonial times, European settlers had all their farming communities off in Queens, Um when Queens was uh, incorporated into New York City, and this is in 1898, there were 60 different towns and villages. Wow. At least Brooklyn was only it's eight.
0: It's a much bigger borough. It is.
1: It's 113 square miles. Um, it's Huge. Uh, they already had streets. They already had their own names of their own streets. Unfortunately, a lot of those towns and villages had streets with the same names. Not a lot of creativity in naming the streets. And Queens, guys, come on. You could have done that better. That was a big problem for the city's emergency services and for their postal services. So, they decided to unify. Uh, In 1911, Charles U. Powell, he was chief engineer of the Topographical Bureau of Queens. He set about to design a street naming and address system in a grid and uh, streets and avenues, which he based on the one used in Philadelphia.
0: Not Manhattan.
1: No, no. not, Not the system that was... Right work. across the river and been going for a century. And no, you know, do with the. And fant- was actually working. Uh huh. Uh huh. So the system in Queens is intended to help anyone find a location anywhere throughout the borough simply by referencing its address, and that is possible, and we'll tell you how in a minute. Powell worked for seventeen years Man. to implement this plan. He had to get PR people to uh, win over the residents of Queens. Some towns flat out refuse to change, which is why there are still so many named streets today. So it's not all numbers in Queens, um, but it's a lot of numbers. So how it works. Okay, guys, you ready? Streets in Queens run north to south. So think like Whitestone to Rockaway. Avenues run west to east. Think Long Island City to Queens Village. Exactly the opposite of Manhattan's system.
0: So it's like they flipped it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm not down with that. Mm Mm-hmm. If additional
1: streets existed or were subsequently built in between the main ones, they were called roads. If Another oh. one, it was called a drive. But it would be named road first. If the road is already there and they built another one, then it was a drive. If there were necessary throughways between the avenues, they were called places. And then if they needed another one, that would be a lane. So unlike Manhattan, Queens has streets and avenues, roads and drives, places and lanes. They also have... streets that are curved or otherwise sort of askew, they have crescents, they have courts, they have terraces. Wow. And, of course, significant thoroughfares are boulevards. Welcome to Queens. The numbering of the streets begins on the western edge of the borough and gets higher as you go east. Also the opposite opposite. of Manhattan. Avenues increase in number as they go south. Also the opposite of Manhattan. So if a building is located on a high-numbered street near a high-numbered avenue, it is somewhere in southeast Queens. Say it with me, guys. Also, also the, the opposite, opposite of Manhattan. Manhattan. So this brings us to addresses. So there are three, uh, three things in every address, three bits of information. There's two numbers that are hyphenated, and then they're followed by the street name, the street on which the building is located. The number that appears before the hyphen indicates the lower of the cross streets on the building's block. Obviously, you've got a block. There's the street on the north side and the street on the south side. So this is the lower one on the building's block. The second number indicates where on the block a structure is located. The lowest number is nearest to that lowest cross street. The example they give is the Yoga Room. Their Astoria location is 38-01 35th Avenue. means it's on 38th, I'm sorry, it's on 35th Avenue between 38th Street and whatever the next street is. In this case, it's Steinway. And since it's 38-01, it's the first building on the block. Wow. And, and this works. I mean, once you get used to it, actually, the, the system is is pretty clear and pretty works. Uh, of course, there's a million exceptions to the rules, and just like any other city, streets and avenues can cut off without warning. But remember this. If you're out there on the road and you've gotten off course, just hang in there for the next street or avenue, you'll find the grid again.
0: Or just use your iPhone.
1: (laughs) That's the other way. (laughs) All right. Last, I'm going to go a little bit into the grid and Staten Island, because everyone forgets about Staten Island. uh, And naturally, Staten Island is different. Very different from Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan, and the Bronx. As we said way in the beginning, the grid is important so that you can maximize the use of the area because uh, people are looking to parcel off the land, sell it, and develop it. These are big concerns for a very densely populated area. Staten Island is not a very densely populated area. Even now it's not. It's the least populated of all the boroughs, and it's not even the smallest. It's actually the third largest, right in the middle. Um, Those of you less familiar with Staten Island, including me, the north shore uh, of Staten Island, Those, these are the neighborhoods like St. George, Tompkinsville, Clifton, and Stapleton. This is sort of the most urban part of the island. The south shore it feels very suburban. It was developed more recently. The west shore is least populated. you actually find a lot of industrial stuff up there. So grids were really not a priority for Staten Island. They didn't have to manage density. Um, as a result, unlike the other four boroughs, but... Like many suburbs, Staten Island has no large numbered grid system. New Dorp has a grid, a few numbered streets, but they don't really intersect with any numbered avenues. There's some neighborhoods. They organize their street names alphabetically. Uh, Visually, if you take a look at Google Maps, you see there's plenty of streets that are laid out that look like a grid, but they just aren't numbered or lettered like we see in the other boroughs. Uh, The grid was just the standard development, which is why you'll still see that, uh, of course, before the '60s. Verrazano Bridge opened lots of areas of the borough to residential and commercial development, especially the central and the southern areas. Uh, for the most part, those have been just undeveloped. Following the start of the population boom after the opening of the bridge, planners laid down a bunch of grids all over Staten Island. Uh, they expected them to be built out with new homes or commercial buildings. You can see a few of those. Uh, Woodrow and Eltingville are areas that are, are grid-like developments. But there are a lot of very, very ungrid-like areas. Just like we were talking about before, the curving streets, a lot of loops, have small, smaller cul-de-sacs. You can see this in Arden Heights. Uh, there's an area called Hampton Green, and uh, apparently this is... I mean, it works. It's a residential area, strong sense of community. People drive anyway.
0: They hate pedestrians. And they
1: hate pedestrians. But the children don't play safely in the street. Um... So so the grid is just not as big a deal in Staten Island as it is in the other areas. And God bless them. They got cars. They don't need it.
0: Yeah, cars. Wow. Ah, cars. I can't imagine <laughs> a car. Hmm. Well, how
1: else do you get across the Verrazano?
0: Uh, you can run across it once a year. Once a
1: year. Yeah. You can Cars. also
0: bike ride across it during the five borough bike year. ride. <laughs> right, right. So Cars. unless, if you gotta get, <laughs> if you got to get to the city except those two times a year, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've, uh, you've really got a car. Or you can take the ferry. The lovely, I like the Staten Island ferry. I love I've, the ferry. Yeah. I've had a great time mm-hmm. on the ferry. It's great. It's free. Um, well, thank you so much, Kathleen. Thank you, Kate. Thank you for listening, everyone. Yeah, we hope you learned a little bit about the grid and how our city has come to look the way it does now. Mm. Or if you don't live here, the next time you come visit, you can have a more a better understanding of what you're seeing as you look around and hopefully not get lost. Definitely,
1: it it, it, it is super helpful. Honestly, when I first moved here. One less thing to worry about. It's really easy to find. Yeah, a way you were
0: you were a Manhattanite for years. Exactly. So. Exactly. I think uh, where you were talking earlier about how the locals understand mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. the weird curvy roads. It's kind of how I understand Brooklyn because I've lived here that's it that's so it. long it's that just it's just normal. second nature. Mm-hmm, anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, uh,
1: I guess we'll just see you next time, guys. Thanks for listening, everyone. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. I wish you could be here with me on this night in New York City. I wish you For more ABC Gotham, go to our website, abcgotham.podbean.com. Special thanks to Podcasting's Brock. Music for ABC Gotham is by Big Rude Jake. ABC Gotham is a K2 production, copyright
0: 2013, all rights reserved. could be
1: here with me on this night of New York City.